Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Okay, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. My guest, Daniel Vitalis, has the wild-fed podcast which by the time this airs very likely could be the last episode of his podcast airing as it is going to be canceled however there are some amazing episodes out there that i encourage you to listen to i have listened to it for quite some time and always found it fascinating daniel also hosts a show on the outdoor channel called all right, so I am sitting here, and I am talking to Daniel Vitalis. And Daniel, for everybody listening who doesn't know who you are, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm the host of Wild Fed on Outdoor Channel and uh, the podcast Wild Fed as well. And um, my career has been interesting because I, I started about 16 years ago uh, in the nutrition field. I was kind of around like the spooky, vegan-y kind of end of the nutrition world but doing a lot of stage performance. Uh, I got to speak all over North America. So a lot in the U S and Canada, I got to speak in Europe and do events down in South America. And I kind of got to travel all around teaching about nutrition. And, and I was this interesting character cause I was in this um, kind of raw food vegan world, but I was doing neither of those things anymore. I had become, you know, a omnivore, I guess. And um, I eventually got kind of kicked out of that forced out of that world because uh, you know, I was having influence on uh, some of the folks there. And, and I was just sort of on this food journey. I've always been really, really curious about 
what human beings as an animal are supposed to eat. That's always been my fascination. So I was just following that thread. I got waylaid for a while, obviously, into some fad nutrition stuff. And so worked my way out of that and um, just kept following the source. And that eventually led me to foraging and wild foods. And that eventually led me to become a hunter much later in my life than I'd say is probably typical. All of us getting more common now. Um, and I've just kept exploring uh, these ideas of what natural human beings are like. And it's just been this really fun career. I started a supplement company 15 years ago called Search Rival. So that's kind of one of my main my main gigs. And then, um, you know, done a f- few different podcasts now. So uh, I had a podcast called Rewild Yourself and now Wild Fed and just actually getting ready to wrap that show up and start a new podcast soon. So pretty exciting going into the fourth season of Wild Fed on Outdoor Channel. Uh, so I guess I have been in the influencer world for a long time, you know, since before it was called that. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, now I guess that that's part of what I do in addition to, you know, running a company and, and making a TV show. So, okay, let's back it up a little bit here because I'm kind of curious <laughs> yeah. myself. Uh, I know you spent some time like down in Arizona or something like that in college, started foraging then. Was foraging like, uh, was it part of part of your lifestyle before the nutrition scene or did that come into play because of that or how, how did that end up? Yeah. Well, I definitely spent a lot of time in Arizona, but I, uh, not in college because oh, I didn't okay. go to college. So okay. yeah, right. I didn't really go to high school. Uh, so, so, much. <laughs> uh, so pretty self-educated. I'm an autodidact for sure. And my, I I've, I've had the blessing of um, being at the crossroads of like motivation uh, and, and self-interest you know, I think a lot of people who, you know, the idea of not going to school for a lot of people is like, um, that's a pretty dangerous road to bark down. Um, it's not a real good indicator of later success. But uh, if you have self-discipline and you're an autodidact and you know how to teach yourself, um, it can actually be quite liberating. So that's been my journey. Um, but when I was a little kid, I had quite a, you know, uh, what is called complex trauma, uh, a lot of neglect uh, growing up. And so um, food became this thing that I kind of had to figure out on my own, uh, just because I didn't have like the stand, the, the typical kind of like, um, parents are, are providing really sound meals every day and you know exactly what you're supposed to be eating. And so I just, I had to like figure out food. And so, um, I had a lot of like questions about like, what, what even is food? You know, like, what is all this stuff at the supermarket in these boxes? Like, what is it? And, and that led me to become very interested in, what are these ingredients? Because what I finally eventually figured out was that if you trace the ingredients back, you found that there was a creature. It's like corn is a creature, right? It's like a living creature, as is wheat, as is soy, as are cows, as are chickens. And so I started to be like, well, I want to like know all these creatures that I'm eating. It's so weird to like make your body out of creatures and then not know what they are. And eventually it's kind of hard not to run into foraging through that. So when I remember myself as like a little kid, I can remember instinctively foraging. So some things I ate as a little kid would be like Japanese knotweed and shepherd's purse and, you know, wood sorrel and things like that. I think so. I always had an interest in what you could eat from outside. The more I started to like come across fruit trees and things like that, I didn't used to when I was little, I didn't have like the best sense of that that fruit tree was somebody's. I thought it was like, hey, that's nature. Uh, so, but I was always really interested in um, in figuring out where these foods came from. So, foraging's always been a part of my life since as far back as I can really remember. But um, 
it became a serious part of my life about 10 years ago, I'd say somewhere 12 years ago, something like that started to get real serious about it, you know, so it started with stuff that's real easy up here, blueberries would be a great example. But over time, you know, as I made friends with different botanists and different foragers, I got into some of the more arcane stuff, like, you know, learning to process acorns or things like that, that are a little outside of the, the, um, hobbyists, typical hobbyists sort of foraging. Um, but yeah, so it's always been part of my life, but, um, but I got real serious about it. Um, and then in particular, when I started wild fed, it became like career focus. So that's where I'm at now, but, uh, it's been a long, slow journey. I didn't get exposed to it by teachers when I was younger. It wasn't something my family did. I didn't grow up with that as like a, a family hobby or anything like that. It, and honestly, it came out of, um, a desire to understand something that I was super naive about. I think most of us are naive about it, about food, what food is. You know, I do this lecture and, and in it, I always say, you know, I, I conclude this thought because I start off asking the audience like what food is, but, but the conclusion I've reached is food's body parts of living creatures. And I just think the average person has never even thought enough about it. It's so weird. We just live on this planet and we don't take the time to even think about what food actually is, but every ingredient in your refrigerator is like the body part of a living thing. And that's super bizarre. <laughs> and I've become really fascinated by meeting all of those creatures. So, <laughs> uh, as far as the veganism, then, uh, was that like, was that a part of your life or just part of the teaching? Yeah. For, for the 10 years. Stuff? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I did it. When, when that happened, was it, uh, like you were thinking about them as living beings and parts of living beings in your refrigerator or was it not ever <laughs> present in your mind at that point and it yeah. didn't have a soul or uh, you know it, it wasn't really alive when i was uh, about 16 years old i had a pretty big life epiphany and i shifted from you know a lot of the kids that i grew up around they they didn't do so well not even not all they're not all even all here anymore and uh, I kind of had to figure out a new path for myself, something more sustainable. So I got really interested in exercise and nutrition um, out of kind of self-preservation. And at that time, so I'm 44 now. So, you know, I'm talking quite a long time ago, almost 30 years. This was a completely different era. Like for, for how old are you, Luke? I am almost 40. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. So you, yeah. you'll remember some of what I'm talking about, but some of the listeners just won't because they weren't here. So, you know, we're talking, we're not just talking before like internet and cell phones. We're talking about like when people thought eating fat was like dangerous. Yeah. I remember and, the campaigns. Yeah. Fat free was considered the, like, no, it's kind of like today we have this, like, there's a real anti-carb sentiment going on. It's like for, if you weren't part of the fat free thing, picture that, but much more aggressive. The fat-free campaign was very aggressive. I mean, I would train all day at the gym and then we would eat pasta with no oil, no salt, nothing on it, just like pasta. Like we would cook it and just eat it because carbs were considered the thing. Yeah, This is so funny, right? So um, I feel lucky now because I have enough hindsight to realize that diet like clothing goes through fashion trends and fads. And um, because there's really only three food macronutrients. There's four if you want to count ethanol, but I don't think most of us consider that really food. So so if you think there's there's three things, you can eat lipids, fats, you can eat protein, amino acids, you can eat carbohydrates and, and sugars. Um, you it's kind of like if you if you're like, well, because here's what's interesting. You've got people who are like 
fats are really bad. It makes you fat. You shouldn't eat it. It's bad for your arteries or whatever. And then you got people like, well, carbs make you fat. You really shouldn't eat carbs. And then you got people who are like, too much protein causes cancer. You shouldn't eat protein. It's like, what should I eat then? Because that's all the things, you know? But at that time, it was like, it was a fat-free trend. Um, and the there was no Whole Foods then. I think that's important to say. There wasn't even health food stores really in the way that we think of them today. So a health food store at that time was usually like a 250 square foot weird smelling room that had <laughs> chunks of oats rolled in uh chunks of dates rolled in oat flour they had this stuff called textured soy protein it was like a like a meat replacement material they might sell some like limp carrots that was it there was no certified organic at the time like none of that existed yet i mean i was part of that early wave um of people that was like an early adopter to that stuff before any of this happened. So I've got to watch this whole thing roll out. So at that time, vegetarianism was kind of like what we see today with maybe with the carnivore diet, which I th I, th I see both of these things as fads. You know, they're just both fad diets. I mean, humans are just like, it's not even worth debating. Like humans are clearly omnivores. All humans have always been omnivores. Every civilization that's ever existed has been omnivores. And all pre-industrial, pre-agricultural people are omnivores. That's why we call them hunter-gatherers, not hunters or gatherers. We call them hunter-gatherers, right? So now that's really very obvious. But but to people who are bewildered and don't understand what food is, it can be very confusing. So at that time for me, vegetarianism was the thing. Like if you wanted to be healthy, vegetarianism was the thing. And then the earliest days of the internet. So I'm talking, I'm going to the library to get on web page, early web pages. And I got exposed from, I had been a vegetarian for a couple of years, but still did a lot of milk and eggs and stuff like that. But then I got exposed to the ideas of veganism. And at the time I just found it really compelling. I don't know. I mean, foolishly now in retrospect, but we didn't have access. It's just hard for people to understand how limited information was back then. And so there were arguments that were made that I was compelled by that today I find much less compelling. By. But at the time, yeah. I definitely bought into it, the idea that humans weren't supposed to eat any animals. And um, being a person with an ethical bend and a, you know, emotional, hopefully a decent emotional intelligence, I, I just thought like, why would I want to contribute to this? Especially when you see, it's kind of like, um, it, at that time too, it wasn't like there was organic farms that you could go visit or especially small scale. Like today I have a, you know, a farm up the road that my, my wife teaches the family's daughter and she produces uh, the vegetables that we buy from her and we know them and can go visit. It wasn't like that. So it wasn't like you were seeing small scale agriculture. So when you get exposed to all of that stuff from PETA, like the awful factory farming, animals getting kicked around and laughed at and electrocuted and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, oh my God, I want nothing to do with that. So so I went on this 10-year vegan journey. And I, I went way more extreme than that because I'm, I'm an extreme type character. So I became a fruitarian for many years. So all I was eating was like fruits and nuts. I didn't eat salt or oil for years. You literally for years, <laughs> like none for years. That's I would, just for just for reference, I'm about 180 pounds right now. I was about 135 pounds at the peak of that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's crazy uh, to me. Yeah, that's to me that seems borderline unhealthy. I mean, especially. Oh yeah, I mean, so no, no, you, not you're not like that little of a guy to where you should be weighing that that much. No, no, it's not healthy. Yeah, so um, but I mean, I. You once it's just like a cult thing. Once you get drawn into so, so these kind of fads can be pretty dangerous, you know. And and honestly, because like when I look at what's going on today, on the flip of that, with the carnivore diet approach, 
I think that the carnivore diet has important therapeutic benefits that we can't, I don't want to disregard those particularly for people who have issues with autoimmunity. Um, you know, you look at some prominent characters like, uh, Jordan and his daughter, Michaela Peterson, um, who are sort of notoriously, you know, well-known proponents of the carnivore diet. They had really severe, um, autoimmune problems. And so, you know, that's awesome. I don't know if really anybody where veganisms like help them with a chronic, I don't know if that's really a thing, but yeah. maybe it is either way. I, I see the therapeutic application of these things, but the idea that these are wholesale healthy things that people should do. I just didn't know what I know now. Now I feel like I, I actually think I'm probably one of the, in, like on the living on the planet today, I think I'm probably one of the better. Um, like, I, I think I could argue against veganism better than I'm in the 99th percentile of people that can do it because I have a lot of experience with it. And I know like the arguments now that would have swayed me then if I had heard them, but just didn't hear them, um, you know, and I didn't understand at the time, you know, like, cause you could look to, uh, uh, you could look to a subcontinent like India and be like, Hey man, there's a whole example of vegetarians there. It's like, yeah, they, they eat ghee and yogurt, <laughs> like heavy dairy consumption because they understood that dairy was a liquid meat and that you could replace the meat in your diet with this liquid meat. It was considered to them more ethical being Hindus or whatever, but you don't look anywhere in the world and find vegans at all. Like there are none. And I think the most compelling piece is that there's no, there's no study of anybody who's been a vegan their whole life who had children with another person who's been a vegan their whole life. And then those children are vegans their whole life and they go on to have children. Like we don't have like any of, there's just zero evidence of it. So when people argue for that, it's kind of like, well, there's zero evidence. And similarly, when people argue for the carnivore diet, it's kind of like, okay, but just like where's the evidence? Like, again, I'm, I'm sure both approaches have therapeutic applications, but the idea that you know, we should wholesale as a species take on either one of these things without there being any evidence for it and just all do the experiment. I mean, that'd be like if there was an experimental gene therapy that the whole population was compelled to take that hadn't been tested before and it only existed for a few weeks, but you could lose your job if you didn't. I mean, that would be crazy, right? So <laughs> you would never do something like that. So why would you do that with a Why, diet, why would you, right? right I know, right? It wouldn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> I I find it interesting, though, because there, there, like you said, there is some therapeutic benefits to it. And I, I do remember the health store as a child because my mother was actually celiac before it was like oh. a fad. Or it was so cool to be. Yeah. And, and, it, and it was very, very, I remember she, she would get these like almost blisters on her skin and she couldn't figure it out. And finally, after about three or four different doctors, and I don't remember at what point it was that, um, she, she found one that said, oh, I think I know what that is. Let's do some blood tests. And they did some blood tests and they found out, hey, you have celiac. And it was like unheard of at the time. Nobody knew what mm. it was. Like now it's kind of popular or a fad to say you're celiac, even if you're not, right? You may have <laughs> yeah. a mild gluten intolerance or something, you know, yeah. and everybody's, oh, I'm celiac. I can't eat that. But then you catch them at home eating something that's got a bunch of flour, mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But um so I remember that. I remember the health food stores. I remember going to these tiny little things because at the same time, my mom wanted, you know, some processed garbage, ultra processed, I should say, not just processed, yeah. right? Well but said. like ultra processed garbage that she could go to the store and uh, find these things for a quick snack. And the only place you could find those was at, a, you know, a health food store. Um, so, so I kind of remember those days, but then it's transitioned in and now and turned out I had a lot of GI issues as well. And I could not 
figure out why. And for the longest time, they called it nonspecific ulcerative colitis. What what does that mean, uh, right? Non means we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is that's yeah. causing it. Like a but syndrome. You have you have uh-huh. colitis, and uh, finally, I mean, they put me on steroids for a long time, and and I mean, I ballooned up. Normally, my average weight was like one eighty five, one ninety at at like a heavy point, and I was like two hundred and thirty five pounds, I think. Big. Of water it, weight, it was, water weight, weight water it? weight. Man. It was it was the steroids, right? So oh, you know, I was just ballooned up, and I was like, I cannot do this anymore at all, you know. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to change my diet. So I cut out some things that I learned were inflammatory, which was actually pretty hard at the time, right? Um, but I cut those out. Start stopped eating fried foods, especially stuff that at the time we didn't know it, but uh, processed and seed oils were a big one. And mm-hmm. just by cutting those out alone, my inflammation was manageable yeah. enough to where mm-hmm. I could actually survive. Um, yeah. And so I did that. Later on, I still had real bad allergies and everything. And so it's kind of weird that, you know, you, you look back now and it's like, wow, okay. Well, I started eating paleo and I did that for like eight, nine months. And just by doing that, allergies went away, all these other things. But I was eating foods that weren't ultra processed. Everything was in its basic form, pretty much. It was like a raw, you know, natural food movement, not necessarily Mm -hmm. raw. But doing that got me back to the baseline to where I could slowly start introducing things and get to the point to where I could figure out what was causing it. Yeah. And, And that right there was like, that was a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a lot of America needs right now. I mean, not the whole world, of course, but I'll just speak for the country <laughs> that I'm part of, but like, you know, we need, we need to do some of that. Now I want to just like on the flip, my wife, uh, who's a lifelong athlete, very fit, very healthy. I, she moved, you know, we got married. She's from Montreal. Um, well, I basically imported her to the United <laughs> States and that importation process uh, immigration, man, it's intense, the battery of medical that you have to do. So, I mean, they just up and down every possible thing, you know, from like, I mean, tuberculosis, they're looking for, you know, like syphilis, like every possible thing. And, um, you know, in that process is like, man, head to toe, she's so, so healthy. She loves gluten. Like, she's like, I want a t-shirt that says, I believe in carbs. (laughs) You know, she can get up at 3am and eat a piece of bread or a cracker. I mean, it's just like stuff that would just flatten me. I just can't do that. Right. Kind of thing. Uh, but you know, she's, she's always been a moderation person and I'm the opposite. So I'm always like, oh, more is better. Yeah. Oh, me too. Eat more. Uh, yeah. So, so she's the flip. So to me, uh, you know, I'm extreme, she's moderate. And so her approach is like, well, I can eat anything. I just got to eat it moderately. And that works like very well. She maintains her weight. She maintains her fitness level. And I don't see that really being an issue for her. And in fact, I've learned a lot from her through that process. Um, because what I found is that being the extremist that I was, I couldn't do that because some of the things wouldn't be great in excess. So I, I do want to just speak to that and just say, like, I think that approach also works or can also work for some people. But um, but for some of us, yeah, I mean, I know people where it's like if they get like a teaspoon of tamari hidden in something, like they're going to have psoriasis the next day. Whoa. You know yeah. what I mean? Like massive gluten intolerance. And that's real. But then also we go through these fads. And right now gluten is, you know, a villain. Uh, but before it was like that awesome thing that held your, you know, pizza dough together. So <laughs> I don't know things go, you know, what I don't like hearing is, um, is like these 
because when you hunt fish and forages, you know, you certain things, certain BS, you just can't be passed off on you. You know what I mean? Like, like if somebody's like, well, our ancestors never ate grains. You're like, okay. okay." You know, like, sure. They just walked by these like oil rich, carbohydrate rich seeds. And we're like, we don't eat those out of principle. Like, mm, not true. I think it was, it was grains. It just wasn't your conventional grains modified to the point they are now, you know, that correct. Or in the quantities, right. Cause they, they would have been wild. So you, you know, you would have had a limited harvest window. It's sort of like, um, you know, something really powerful happened in Europe once the alchemists figured out how to distill ethanol from beers and wines. Um, and in fact, there's in- incredible wood carvings you can see of like the debauchery in the streets in Europe, you know, because th- but prior to that, if you imagine a time where, you know, maybe 14% alcohol would be the highest content that you could get out of a natural fermentation process somewhere in that, I don't know what it'd be exactly, but something like the concentration of alcohol that's in wine. And then, um, they figure out how to make something that's, you know, between 40% and and a hundred percent pure ethanol. Well, people are just laid out in the streets, right? You got just yeah. full <laughs> drunkenness. So similarly, like you, you couldn't say like, well, people never had alcohol in the past. It's like, yeah, all you got to do is like leave a piece of fruit on the ground long enough and you get some alcohol. Like that's just, <laughs> right. you know, people aren't stupid, you know? In fact, probably the reason that we got really into agriculture in the first place it's, it's probably hard to like separate the alcohol production from the earliest agriculture. It's like grains allow for the production of beer. So when anthropologists ask the question, like, well, why did human beings ever walk away from that much more leisurely and healthful practice of hunting and gathering to go into full-scale agriculture, basically overnight in some places, it's like, well, I think beers are probably a pretty good reason <laughs> why they did that, you know? But anyway, so so to say that people didn't drink in the past is just not true, but it would be true to say they had very limited access and it was usually seasonal. So when you look in like the desert Southwest, for instance, where the saguaro cactus fruits would be turned into wine and they would have like a full three-day, like five-day drunken festival, but then it's gone. And then you're waiting a year till you have these fruits again that you can ferment. So um, we didn't have constant access. Similarly, grains would have been a thing that you would have just limited amount that you could eat. But now we've produced you know, enough that we have surpluses forever. Um, and then the other thing, I'm sure you've seen some of the history of wheat and how it was developed, but it's like gamma radiation was used to create mutations in wheat, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So think about before CRISPR technologies, because now we have this ability to genetically modify, but prior to that, you know, the only genetic modification we could do would be through breeding. So you'd be selectively, you know, just like how you come up with dogs or like, okay, I need a dog that can go down a hole to pull a rat out. So I'm going to take dogs with the shortest legs and we'll breed them. And then over time, you know, you get these dogs that are shaped right to go down a hole. Like, so that artificial selection, domestication. So that's how we always bred our plants too. But then once we realized during that sort of early atomic age where you realize like, oh, wow, better living through science, they figured out that gamma radiation created mutate genetic mutation. So what they started doing is blasting wheat seeds with gamma radiation to see if they can induce changes and then they grow them out. And that led to the dwarf wheat and the dwarf wheat's what we're growing now. And that's true of organic as well as conventional wheats. And so the, it's possible that the gluten protein we're dealing with today isn't basically is not the same than it was before. Yeah. It's been through cosmic, it's been through artificially induced cosmic radiation that we've ended up with the wheat we have now. So I lots also changed. wonder about that though, whether or not the, uh, 
the chemicals that we're spraying on the wheat that stay with the wheat throughout the entire food process and your body might confuse that or mimic it with the gluten because it's binding to that to the point to where now you're developing this intolerance to the chemicals toxic chemicals basically um and and your body's confusing it with the two and now that's why you have these immune deficiencies to it right yeah and then and also i mean just wide-scale chemical exposure because we're all just been so you know it's You've been hearing that conversation in the last, I guess, been in the last two months, probably. I started hearing about forever chemicals. Like that term started to pop up, forever chemicals. Now it's like, oh man, if you eat like one freshwater fish, you're getting like mega dosed with these. It's like, it's pretty brutal. These things are pervasive in the environment. Um, That's just a class. That's a class of, uh, I think, fluoride containing fluorocarbons or something like that. Like uh, the new train spills. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Hmm. So uh, no, that's not happening. Keep your eyes on the Ukraine. Right. So yeah. um yeah, so basically, you know, in addition to what's on our food, there's just all the stuff that's pervasive in our environment, plus there's the stuff that we're packaging our food in, plus there's the you know, what I one thing I want to say too is having come out of that vegan kind of raw foodie world, that was a pretty demented place for a lot of reasons and one of the reasons was there was um people will get their identity wrapped up in what they don't do. So that's like an interesting way to frame it. But think about like, um, if you're on the carnivore diet, in a way, you're not just defining yourself by what you do, but you're defining yourself by what you don't do. So like, if you're a vegan, you're defined by that you don't eat animals, like that's your thing. Or if you're a carnivore, like you, I don't eat vegetables. And like, eventually, you don't mean to, but you get kind of roped into this like, who can do it better, who can do it the most, who can be the most hardcore. <laughs> and what I was around, so the, the subculture that I was in, it's like, we only ever drank things out of glass bottles. We got all our water from freshwater springs. We didn't use any like, you know, commercial products. We, I mean, we were in all the way deep, like deep, deep down the rabbit hole. And eventually you get to this point where you're like, oh, it's impossible. Like, the entire surface of the earth is being, is contaminated. Um, like I often try to bring attention to people like we've, we had a massive nuclear war on the surface of the earth. It's just that instead of bombing each other, all the nuclear armed nations bombed their own continents. So the Russians bombed the Russians and the U S bombed the U S and the French bombed the French. And we, we just, bombed the planet very i mean I, what did we have like 2500 nuclear detonations and yeah. the, all that fallouts here on the surface of the earth i mean there's radio isotopes that are just here like we just have to live with that and so we're like oh my god fukushima or oh my god you know whatever it is seven mile island or whatever it was called um all that stuff yeah that stuff sucks but like it kind of sucks that we detonated so many so many nuclear weapons here too and then unleashed the chemical era and now we're into this thing where you know you you pick up headlines like oh in florida they tested a genetically modified mosquito you're like wait they put it out in the environment yeah. Were we going to have any kind of like, a, were we ever going to get to vote on this? Like, what do you mean? Just put it out there. Like you can do that. Like you don't need a special license or, or what? Like, oh wait, genetically modified salmon now? Like that's out there. Like all this stuff is happening. And the, we're, we're in this tough situation because you, we have this false dichotomy. Like you either have to be like a full on raging capitalist or you're a communist. And it's like, well, I'm definitely not a communist, but man, I mean, I kind of don't, I think we got to restrain some of these companies a little bit. Like, what are they doing? You know, releasing this stuff without basically 
any oversight. And so that's just all out there. So my point is, even if you like only drink out of glass bottles and you hunt and fish your own food and you do all of that stuff, you're being exposed to so much that it's kind of hard to be like, well, it's the gluten is the problem. It's like, dude, you got like 85 variables <laughs> every minute you're dealing with that are not natural, that your body has no precedent for, and that you don't have detoxification systems for. So you're still stuck with the same stuff. Like you're going to get stuff out by peeing it out, pooping it out, breathing it out, or sweating it out. And that's the only way it's getting out. And if it doesn't come out that way, it's staying inside. And if it stays inside, you know, we can get some real problems. So yeah, yeah we're in a tough situation here today trying to figure out our health, man. There's <laughs> a few things that came to mind when uh, you were saying that. One of them being that uh, you're talking about the fallout. Uh, a, an example that comes to my mind is I actually know a guy that – Went on a caribou hunt in Alaska like a year after Chernobyl. And the fallout that fell in the grass and the grass grew that spring, the caribou were eating it. He was eating the caribou meat. His family was eating it. And he, him and another individual ate it and were at work and went through some radiological monitors and it lit the monitors up. Oh man. And so they're like, what's going on here? You know, what happened? Why, why is this happening? And they, they traced it back to the, the caribou stew that him and another individual ate. And he's like, Oh my goodness. And then they put two and two together and it's like, wow. So imagine the fish. He's the alive fish still. Here. Oh yeah. He's alive. Yeah. 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 Okay. Alive and well, actually he's, he's, okay. uh, okay. yeah, he's retired enjoying his life and, uh, <laughs> Doing uh, cedar strip canoes and dugout canoes uh, and all cool. kinds of cool right stuff. On. So dugouts, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah right. He's on. a cool individual. He makes oh, his I'm own arrowheads. Okay. And uh, I asked him one time. I said, Eddie, what, what, uh, what, what type of reeds or what, what do you use for your arrows? Ah, I don't really know what the actual plant is. It just uh, grows near my house, and I take them, and they're pretty straight. And <laughs> I, I taper them down a little bit more than they already are, and, and they fly pretty good. You know, oh, just one of those dudes that, love that. Yeah, can create love that. anything, anything. Yeah, that that's cool. It. He's cool, dude. Yeah, that's cool. What do you think about, um, what's your thoughts on lead? I mean, there's been a lot more saying like that hunters, you know, are potentially ingesting a lot of lead and then the, the movement towards copper and stuff. Just curious your Man, thoughts. Man, I don't know. I mean, sure. I'm sure there is harmful effects from it. How How much is it? around you and within you that it takes to have negative effects. I remember as a kid playing with it. Uh, my dad used to cast his own bullets. So yeah. uh, I remember my dad would Liquifying always... Liquefying it in the garage yeah, there, just breathing Well, he babies. would... Uh, I mean, he would always... He was smart about it. He would always have proper ventilation. He would be wearing a respirator when he was fluxing it. All of those sorts of things, proper precautions that you should take, right? Um, but at the same time, I remember handling it. He'd make me wash my hands afterwards, but... I, I remember so many times just playing with different bullets <laughs> or molding them or yeah. like taking the extra castings that you would break off the mold and they'd be cool little shapes, you know, that you could, yeah. you know, yeah. and I'd be like, oh, this one looks like Abraham Lincoln, you know, or whatever, <laughs> right? You know, so I, I just, I remember yeah. that, that as a kid and so far, no serious side effects. So far, have you know, the, effects, the effects right? though are like, <laughs> it's funny because I, I, um, I've kind of got this, uh, I, I spend a lot of time, I'll spend, you know, five to 10 years in a community, try to like learn what I can. And then like, uh, I'll kind of saturate myself in skills and move to the next thing. And I, I spent a lot of years in the tactical firearms world, like learning to shoot. And, uh, so handguns and ARs kind of like Glocks and ARs. Yeah. And, um, 
just had so much fun with that. Used it as like an opportunity for personal development, you know, so it's like been a phase of my life. Um, so I, I have a pretty good handle, I think, on that that end of the firearms world. And one of the things that um, lead does is it reduces IQ and it creates aggression. And so interesting. it's interesting because when you're around that community that's handling bullets a lot, you're like, <laughs> you know, like, like, <laughs> maybe, uh... I mean, it's, it, you know, but of course, like that type of person is going to be a little more aggressive, you know, but it's just like an interesting thing. So I've been shooting copper for a while, but, um, but with my 22, it's all, you know, and, and obviously a lot of shot yeah. too. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, I've seen stuff where it's like the dispersal because you get like micro fragmentation of the lead that spreads sometimes two, three feet out from the source of impact. And so, um, oh, you don't, yeah. <laughs> you don't notice it, but you can, you can certainly see it in an x-ray. So it's yeah. just something I'm, I'm I, interested I, in. I tend to shoot uh coated lead now, you know, to where mm-hmm. they actually put the, the coating on it. Um, there were some loads that I I reloaded a few years ago that didn't have the coating, and I was just trying to get rid of the the. Are you talking twenty two? No, I'm talking. Well, I mean twenty twos as well, but I it was actually forty for my uh, my match gun, and uh, uh. I ended up it, <laughs> I ended up not even shooting them because I loaded them a little bit hot, and it was to the point where it was like a wild west uh, cowboy action to where the smoke the puffs of smoke and it was actually it wasn't smoke it was lead dust you know flying oh. in the air everywhere and i'm like ah, i don't want to shoot these anymore you're so, a pistol shooter i do i do i i've done 40, a little bit though. of three gun yeah 40 you know i don't get into those super rounds but uh, at 40 i tell you it's not that's a, <laughs> let's put it this real, way it's a week it's 10 a millimeter. Round. it's what it's week 10 millimeter that's what it was yeah, designed for. i do right? like a 10 you millimeter though. i do too uh, i was just looking yeah at i started off in a 40 i started off my first handgun was a smith and weston mp40 and i just could never hit accurate and one day i i went to class and i had um forgotten my holster and so i ended up getting a glock 19 loaned to me and then i was like nice. oh like now I'm, oh now i'm hitting everything this is wonderful so I haven't yeah. shot forty in a long time. So but I do with being with a the rough. with the three gun, you know, with if you're shooting steel plates, getting those plates to knock over with a nine millimeter, if you're ah, yeah. if you're low on your shot, right? You know, because you're shooting like a hundred and twenty grains or hundred and eighteen mm-hmm. grains versus like one eighty five, one eighties. Yeah, whereas right. where I like to be. So if you're shooting a one eighty with a forty, you can be a little bit lower on your shot. You're still going to get that yeah. tar- that target to drop yeah. over. So it's awesome. just about recoil management a little bit more, you know. Yeah. And, and you can handle the forty, and that's why I utilize the forty because you know I didn't get into those hybrid like nine by twenty one or whatever instead of nine by nineteen, you know. Um, yeah. And that, that's what the whole reason those guys even developed those for is because they wanted that extra speed. So it would have that extra impact, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like now, now my recoil management, like now, cause I can shoot the 10 millimeter grade and like how many issues now. So I think now I could probably shoot the 40 grade, but as somebody yeah. who, who was still trying to like, cause you know, one of the things I did in that school, I remember that we would shoot a lot. Um, we, it, we'd be videoed and then watching slow-mo kind of like, you know, maybe a football team would do after, you know, analyze yourself. And it'd be like, every time I press that trigger, my eyes would be like closed. Be like this. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like, flinching it takes away a while. Like, ah. sometimes when I go to the range still, uh, if it's been a while since I've been shooting and just haven't been exposed to it, I'll notice that I'll kind of blink a little bit every once in a while when, yeah. when, when somebody's you know, shooting in, you know, in the background or whatever. And it's like, what, what am I doing? 
I know that's supposed to be there, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's just it's yeah. instinctual. But the yeah. more you're exposed to that, the less that yeah. happens, the less flinch. Controlled explosion in your yeah. hand. Yeah. It's fun, though. It's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Yeah, we're going to, you know, I've got a podcast coming out, well, today, actually, but, you know, for people listening, it'll already be out. But um, Donnie Vincent, the hunter, you know, uh, came on the show and, uh, man, we got it really into this conversation about well, some pretty sketchy stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how it lands with people. But one of the topics is like, will will these things that we love doing even be options in 10 years? And, you know, right down to hunting, it's like, you know, the direction that our world is going so rapidly, you know, the idea that you would just be able to like go to Alaska and shoot a grizzly bear. It's like, I mean, there's a lot of forces moving in the world right now that, that don't like this kind of thing. And they uh, are kind of quickly eliminating options we have. So kind of curious, like, how do you see the future of hunting and, in the United States, because we, we're just like, is this the, is this the golden moment? Because like, how can this go on? Like with, with it's, in the era of the electric car or whatever. It's, oh gosh. So man. Okay. It's a tough one. It re- really, really is a tough topic because you see certain things changing, legislation changing. There's not even any voting that's going on Mm -hmm. with this legislation. People are making the decision, taking executive action and making it happen. You've got game commissioners who are appointed and they're Mm -hmm. appointed by malicious people and they're making decisions based upon their ethics or their values that don't hold true to the rest of the people, the common public. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find it frightening. I find that actually those people are an underrepresented, uh, you know, minority or an overrepresented minority is the way I should mm-hmm. word it. Yeah, I would and, agree. And, and they tend to think because they it's, you know, certain limits on social media and everything else that they are the dominant ones. They are the ones who are in charge, and the media portrays it that way. And when in reality, they're not the collective. They're not representing the mm-hmm. majority. And and it's very difficult to, to watch these things happen. I mean, look at uh, Washington State. They lost their spring bear hunting. That's gone. I don't know if they're going to get it back. I know there was some measures to where they had limited actions or a limited window to where they renewed it for another season. But there's so many different things going on that are really coming after every little bit of us. And it's going to be a death by a thousand cuts. It's not going Mm -hmm. to be uh, everything at once. It can't be, right? And that's, I mean just like poisoning somebody, you know, they're doing it in small doses versus boil the frog, yeah. boil the frog slow. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a sad thing. I hope that my children, and any one of the things it. it's yeah. not worth hanging yourself over. Right. Like that's the thing is like each thing is like each little cut you mentioned. It's like, is that the hill I want to well, die on? See, it's like not really. But... It is though. And I think that's what people don't understand is they're like, well, it doesn't affect me at all. This is what gets me. Right. So gun legislation, any single piece of, legislation that goes after your rights. I don't care if it's capacity limits. 
or whatever it may be, or assault rifles, so-called assault rifles. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those things that people say doesn't affect them does because it mm-hmm. opens Pandora's box for more things to come out and attack you later on down the road because they've already taken ground. Mm-hmm. And I understand mm-hmm. people say, oh, well, people don't need that or whatever, and that's fine. Have your opinions about it. But just know that later on it's going to come down the line and it is going to affect you just just like hunting. And, yeah. I mean, we've got a great conservation model here in the United States, and it's a great thing if we can just maintain it properly. Right. And and they're slowly taking away those rights. Yeah. It's like, why would anyone need an AR-15? It's like, have you ever hunted hogs? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, right. Uh, let me well, make a case for that, it right but now. But even the, the <laughs> no, other I case, I mean – Looking at the case that you do have the right, you do have the right yeah. to defend yourself. You do yeah. have the right to have the same weapons. Honestly, I think if you wanted an F-15, as long as you had the money and the proper certifications to fly it, get one, whatever. <laughs> That's your right. Do you have any, do you have any limits on that? Like, cause, uh, cause as we expand that out, like, uh, oh, nuclear weapons, honestly, I don't think anybody yeah, should have, yeah, them. For not fun, even like, the governments. Right. Right. I so mean, like where that's, what's yeah. interesting is like, where does it stop? Cause like what say Elon Musk wants to have, you know, <laughs> some, some warheads, like, cause no. I, I agree. Like, I mean, what's interesting right now is that the same news outlets that have been saying that no one could ever need an AR 15 and that in particular, and I think the elephant in the room that nobody ever wants to address is like the real reason for the uh, second amendment, which is not about your personal defense it's against not, a and people don't robber it. it's a yeah. it's for your freedom right so um the idea that no one would ever need one and now those same people are all about shipping those exact weapons to the ukraine so that the people can individually defend them themselves and their freedom and it's so fascinating because yeah. it's like well isn't that an example of why you would need it and aren't you <laughs> the ones who have been saying that that could never happen and now you're the ones who are mad if i'm not supporting them going over there so it's quite yeah. it's quite fascinating to see how all this stuff plays out i mean um, we, it's sort of like how the pharmaceutical companies were the worst villains ever. And then, then one day they became the greatest heroes ever. Like the yeah. willingness to flip flop like that is so staggering to me sometimes. Um, but yeah, now we're seeing like, we need to arm these people and it's like, yeah, but then at the same time you're saying you need to disarm these people. Like what's going on here? So it makes sense. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic. We're living in a very strange time. And yeah, I mean, technological advancements are going at such a rapid rate. Like, honestly, it's kind of bad to say it, but I just was a giant solar flare would uh, reset. Yeah, EMP, man. Well, actually, the Chinese balloons, right? (laughs) I mean, was that a trial run for EMPs? Are we going to blame it on China and it's really us? There's a lot of stuff, dude, that. Oh, we don't do things like that. Like, and one (laughs) thing we would never do is blow up a pipeline either. That would never, no, blow up a pipeline. That would be an act of, that'd be an act of war, Luke. We would never do that. (laughs) Drop, Um, drop, uh, you know, certain bacteria over San Francisco Bay and see how many illnesses come from that. We wouldn't that. do that. No, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't do, do that, that. <laughs> We would we'd never weaponize a tick or anything like that. No. None of those things. <laughs> That's conspiracy stuff, you know? It definitely but, is, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. We are living in weird times. Like, I was uh, talking to my wife, Ivani, the other day about, um, I've been training a lot with a heart rate monitor. So I'm like, a, I'm in an interesting place because I'm kind of anti-technology, but then there's certain stuff I like. So hypocrite so i'm playing with <laughs> heart rate monitor and i also have um an eeg that's like a, a meditation device wear it on my forehead in the morning when i meditate and it basically gives me biofeedback so i can know if i'm in the right if i'm actually meditating or if i'm just thinking about my shopping list or whatever so 
um, I was like, it's amazing these technologies. I have an EEG and an EKG at home now. Like this was stuff that 50 oh, yeah. years ago was like cutting edge technology. And then even 10 years ago, you had to go to the hospital. And I was like, man, when are we going to have our own x-ray at home? Do you think you know, that people had the availability of the EEG and all those different things now because there's so many heart conditions and people want to monitor it? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like, yeah, what will become available, man? I mean, like, you know, with the yeah. technology that we have now, it's it's obviously it's getting quite, I mean, even just with our technology making the TV show, like just our drone technology is stunning. Every season we get a new drone and it's like, it's mind blowing. They yeah. fly themselves, you know, I mean, they're incredible. Um, but they also introduce a lot of extremely invasive surveillance issues that need to be considered as well. And, and obviously as hunters, We've got, so, you know, what I'll end up doing, for instance, oh. um, we've got an episode this year where there's some great footage from the drone of me in a tree stand, but we had to wait till the hunt was over, then get rid of it. I couldn't go up in the tree with any hunting equipment or else I'm using that drone to hunt, right? So I got to like, if you look close, I don't have my bow. I'm just in the tree because it's a separate thing. Cause I can't, you know, it's like the ethics of what can we do with this yeah. technology as hunters? You know, it gets compl complicated and do there's not really feel, any good though, answers. Do you feel that you're portraying that properly though to the say the common person because that's always my my concern is now they see it one way and that you're using the drone yeah you're doing it for a dramatic shot and somebody that's in that world might understand that or know that but at the same time it's like i think it's the opposite do you think the person looks at it and goes like oh a drone shot i don't think they do i think I they just are like yeah i don't that's know just the it's, guy it, in the tree, like yeah, I don't think they weird. think about how it was done. Like I always like think I, about I didn't that. I didn't yeah, but you're in yeah. media. <laughs> I didn't used to I didn't used to think about it, you know. Yeah. And like now when I watch TV and movies, I don't not as bad with movies. I still can be enchanted by a film, but TV is like ruined for me. There's so many times now, especially reality TV, where it's like no. that person only said that because the director asked them to say yeah. that. Like you can just tell now, like you know, when things are, I can just see it, but, um, no, I don't think people really, I'm not worried about that. You know, it's a, me in a tree, but if I had overhead footage of like the uh, sounder of hogs running, yeah, I might be sending the wrong message. You know, yeah, I don't have any yeah. of that, unfortunately, but <laughs> it's hard because you really do want to capture it and you want to tell the story as best you can, but you also don't want to be, you know, cheating or breaking the laws or doing anything right. unethical. So yeah, my wife I and know. I, we were on our honeymoon and this is what ruined reality TV shows for me is it was like the UK bachelor and they were at the same resort we were at on our honeymoon. Oh, no. And they were there on the beach doing dating scenes on the beach. And oh. they're like, okay, tell them this. Okay. Now we want to kiss. And it was like, wait a minute. Like they're not just doing that on their own. Every right. single action is scripted. And then I was like, oh. I guess all TV shows are like that. And it was like that Dude. light bulb moment that went off, Bing. you know, and I'm like, oh. The Bachelor's gnarly, though. You're like, how yeah. many women is he going to kiss Ugh. tonight? Like, is this, this is not sanitary. Like, that's the sixth the girl he kissed tonight. <laughs> and, and like, but but it's so funny because, I, you know, I just happened to see uh, The Bachelor recently. And I was like, I'd never seen the show before. I was like, <laughs> this guy's kissing all these girls tonight. But also, like, uh, you're like, these, you can tell he doesn't even want to anymore. He's like getting tired of it. He's like, you, you, obviously, they're making him kiss every single one of them, like on the mouth, you know? And, and like, some of them are such like awkward kisses. You're like, that's not, that's not how I remember that shit going down. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. well, I mean, fake. maybe it was awkward and you just didn't realize it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. But the, I yeah. think the other thing, social media, right? Like, I, I think to the non-hunter, 
what they see on social media is going to affect their opinion. It's a person on the fence. Mm -hmm. It's not the person Mm -hmm. that's anti-hunting. You you probably hear that a lot, but anti-hunters aren't the ones that uh, are going to change their mind. Unless there's a drastic Mm -hmm. something that happens in their life. Like I once interviewed a woman that she was a vegan. She was an animal rights activist. She worked for PETA. I mean, all of these things, you would never think she was a hunter. But then... She said, okay, met a woman that rescued chickens. And that was her her gateway drug, right, was eggs. And mm. she met this woman that rescued chickens, and those chickens' eggs were sold at the farmer's market in order to sponsor more chicken adoption or rescues. And she's like, well, I can buy them. And she said they sat in her fridge for like three weeks before she finally made that conscious decision to try and make one, just to say I'm not going to waste them. It feels crazy to just let these eggs go to waste and throw them out, even though I bought them for a good cause. Mm. And then once she did that, she said it was the best thing she'd ever tasted. And she goes, realistically, I hadn't cooked an egg in my entire life since I was a child, probably. And you know, now I'm an adult, and I did this and probably burned the heck out of it, and it didn't taste that good. But to me, it was something my body needed. It was something my yeah. body craved. Oh, my God. And all Those of a sudden, yokes, I was baby. like, wow, okay. And she goes, I was there every week buying eggs. And then yeah. eventually, I said, okay, now I want to know where these eggs are really coming from when it's an ethical choice, and it's mm-hmm. people that are raising these animals ethically. And once she did that... It was like, oh my gosh, there's this whole other world where these people, they care. It's small, pardon me, it's small agriculture. These people actually care about their animals and they're tending them properly. And until the very end of their life, they've lived the best life that they can possibly have. And once she saw that, she was like, okay, there's something else to this. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I was a part of slaughtering those animals at that point because now I wanted to know that. And she goes, Mm -hmm. it adapted from that to now I want to go in the wild and I want to get those animals too. Mm -hmm. And that's a cool transition. But other than that, you're not going to get that from a non-hunter. That's Mm -hmm. an anti-hunter. It's those people that are on the fence that are like, well, I've never hunted, but I've always been curious about it. I've watched some meat eater. I like Mm -hmm. those episodes. You know, those are the people that you're going to influence. And then when they see, you know, guys posing on Instagram naked with a duck you know, in their mouth or whatever it is. I mean, it's just like <laughs> high five. Why? And I mean, it's not something that hasn't always been there. That element has always been there, right? You, I mean, yeah, but the access to it, is but the access now. to it is the difference. Yeah, I remember guys and the, the way worlds can converge because now you can just follow. You could just look up hunters on, and you'll find them. But in the yeah. past, you probably weren't going to cross paths. Yeah. You know, I remember my buddy's dad had a photo that they took at deer camp, you know, probably after quite a few beers or whiskey or whatever, but it was all their deer and they set it up around the poker table and their deer were playing poker like dogs, <laughs> like dogs oh, playing no. poker, right? Yeah, you know, right, one of them right, had a cigarette right. out of his mouth and a trucker oh, cap no. on, you know, and, oh, I mean, my God. super distasteful, right? Yeah. But at the same distasteful, time, but you can understand, but you can understand it and camp, where it came it from. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And to a non-hunter, if they saw that, oh my god, shocking! Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, so I, it's just one of those things. It's very difficult. Once again, it's the time we're living in. Yeah, access to information. And I think that's what's going to be the biggest uh, deciders. Those people on the fence when it comes to voting on legislation and not just stuff yeah. that's actually 
ripped right out from underneath you without even knowing about it. Yeah. Cause like, as you mentioned before, you know, if I understand it, I mean, this isn't really firearms policy is not my area, but um, like I know the ATFs now just issuing rules oh, instead of, yeah. right. Instead of passing laws, they just introduce rules and it's like, well, okay, that's a way to bypass our, you know, Congress and basically yeah. bypass our legislative process. Making and, the ruling. I, and that, that's, that's the other thing. When does an agency get to make a ruling and not a court? And yeah. that's the biggest fight right now. The legal fight, they are actually taking it to the Supreme Court and saying, this is an agency making laws. A ruling is now law if they're going to enforce it and there's potential imprisonment for that. Yeah, that's that is thing, a is there's law. serious consequences. And, yeah. and, and the, the other thing is, is there's not, it's not like it's due process and then you go to jail. They're kicking <laughs> right. in your door at two in the morning, Yeah, taking everything. And you're sitting in jail until they make a decision on whether or not you're going to stay there. I mm-hmm. mean, that, that is crazy for yeah. something that, that you already owned that, right. That you, that you legally, legally owned, you legally purchased. bought. Yeah. And legally and, well, owned. that's the same yeah. thing with yeah. the gun laws in Illinois right now too. I mean, and New Mexico, they just banned assault weapons and uh, so-called assault weapons, capacity limits, all that stuff. I mean, it's pretty insane the direction things are going uh and and how do you recover from that how do you come back from that other than challenging <laughs> yeah. it, you know I, yeah it's yeah meanwhile your assault weapon is a coyote gun a repeating yeah. coyote gun you know i mean it's just so that's the hardest thing is hearing about these high-powered rifles it's yeah. like dude nobody i know would even hunt how many people you know hunt deer with a you know a 556 like i know some people that do but not many most don't there's actually because it's quite a few people that do that i know of um yeah. in like in i think it's like tennessee or <clears throat> whatever state you can use a rifle but they're like i do headshots mm-hmm. you know within 60 yards 80 yards and it's okay so then you're making my point because yeah. it's like the point is if you want to use that ar-15 to hunt deer yep. you have to do something unusual yeah. in order right. for it to be effective because right. it's such a it's a fast it's a hot round as you know yep but i mean god it's just a 22 caliber so you're taking headshots at 80 yep. yards because if you tried to do a you know oh, a double lung run. shot yeah. like that deer's gonna run forever and so it's the you know the average anti-gun person has no idea that your deer rifle is is massively more powerful than your right. than your right. than your five, five six rifle or whatever i mean it's yeah that's one of the frustrating things is watching the uneducated make decisions you know, or watching their decision tree, I guess that whole process. Yeah. Cause you're like, Oh man, like if you understood it, you would do this differently, but you don't want to arm them with information either, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you're, you're doing, yeah. you're going about this all wrong and don't understand yeah. like what you're yeah. doing. So, so let's talk, yeah. let's flip the script here a little bit. Let's talk, uh, hunting and, uh, how, how that kind of evolved into your life. Because mm-hmm. as you said, I mean, you were a vegan, you didn't grow up in that environment. Yeah. How, at what point was it? What was it like the pivotal moment that you evolved into that world or took the first steps and, and how did it develop as you continued to grow? Yeah. Like the seeds were definitely planted for me when I started to eat meat again. I think I, I followed a really similar process to a lot of people who were, who were, cause now that story of like, I was a vegan, now I'm a hunter. It's like actually becoming a pretty common story. Um, but I started and the first thing I was eating was, um, butter. I still buy butter from the same person. Actually, she's got a f- small farm in the white mountains in New Hampshire where she raises like 30 Jersey cows and she's got this just incredible grass fed butter. And I would, I would eat a pound to two pounds a day 
That's how I came off veganism. What? Picture that. You know, a, like the, a, a stick of butter is a quarter pound. So I'm talking four to eight sticks of butter a day. That's how starved I was for fat soluble nutrients. Oh my I would just mix it with honey and cacao nibs and I would it eat sounds that. Sounds delicious. I mean, who doesn't oh, love so... melting butter and putting it with just about anything? Uh, so I love good. butter and oats and cinnamon like oh. Yeah, yeah, right. You're you're getting it. But obviously yeah. that quantity is insane what I just said, but I mean, yeah. I was really starved for animal food and and the thing is is that, you know, this isn't butter like at the supermarket that's that pale kind of whitish color this is like dark gold yeah so that gold is vitamin a which doesn't exist in plants despite what people want to think i mean the the pro form does in the form of beta carotene but there's no vitamin a in plants and there's no you know these fat soluble vitamins are found in animal foods and so so i started there and then you know eggs and then fish and then white meat and work you know like for whatever reason in that vegetarian world, there's just like hierarchy of evil, like white meats are less evil than red meats or whatever. I don't know what, why, but you get those people like, well, I don't eat red meat. I'm superior. I don't eat red meat. <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing. I only eat fish. It's a, it's an inferior form of animal on the hierarchy of animals. So I was doing that whole thing. Um, and then once I kind of got like myself re-nourished, I mean, it was just a matter of time that I would end up there, but it took me a long time because I needed to develop quite a lot of skills to do it. And the idea, and what's interesting is I got into plant like foraging pretty deep, but the, even though I wanted to, I don't, this is good. This is like hard to, this is hard to say for some reason. It's like hard to explain. I had, I was so far removed from the idea of hunting or connecting with hunters. It was such an Elmer Fudd thing in my mind that even when I was foraging all the time and I wanted to hunt, it never, this sounds crazy, but it just didn't even occur to me to approach hunters and learn to do it. Yeah. Like it didn't even occur to me. It was like, it was like the, it, it, it was like so diametrically opposed to like how I perceived myself that I couldn't. So anyway, eventually there was a breakthrough and yeah. I connected with some turkey hunters and they, you know, what's crazy hunting. about that though, Daniel, is that it's the same path, right? The, the forager and the hunter, they are on mm-hmm. the same path. Oh yeah. Actively I know that now. <laughs> in the pursuit of food. Yeah. They Wild love foods. nature and they love the environment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they, that's what I, I, it bothers me that people don't realize that they think hunters are these malicious people that are just bloodlustful and that's what they want. But the truth of the matter is, is most hunters I know know more about the species that they're passionate about than, than your average Joe or even somebody unless they're like a biologist that studies in that field. Literally, it's just yeah. the biologists that yeah. know more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's that's crazy. it. I mean, no, it's crazy. And then also their willingness to contribute and give back and yeah. you know, all those kind of things. And yeah, I mean, that all that's all very obvious to me now, but boy, it wasn't then. Yeah. I just couldn't ever <laughs> imagine it. So it took a lot of years, you know, and then it was like so eye-opening because I took to it very rapidly. Um, and then it was like, okay, turkey season's over. What do we do next? And it was yeah. like, okay, and then what do we do after that? And what are we doing next? And and really quickly foraging, which had become foraging was this way I could add some trail nibbles to my life, but it never was, it was such a small part of the diet because plants contribute such a small amount of calories in most cases that it wasn't until I started hunting that I was like, oh, wow, I could eat like substantial amounts of wild foods if I do this. And that actually led me to go deeper into foraging because yeah. now I was like, oh, I have like protein and fat, you know, I got into bear hunting before I got into deer hunting. So 
Um, that was like my first big game was bear. And I was really drawn to it for the lipids. I just wanted to render bear fat so yes. bad. I just thought that was so cool, you know? And so once I did that and I was sitting on like gallons of bear fat, it was like, oh my God, I could actually live like this. Yes. Like, this is amazing. Yes. Uh, so, you know, piece by piece, I, I just started taking on all the different practices. Um, now it's all very integrated. So at this point, I like to I like to bring up this idea just to challenge people's perceptions of of because you know we hear so much now about all the different isms that you can be you racist you like whatever oh, you know yeah, thing yeah. that you are you know like you you whatever ism um, so I like to point out this idea that we are speciesists or even maybe kingdomists I think that's more interesting because vegans like to talk about being kingdomists or sorry speciesists like you're speciesists you think it's okay to kill certain species well, I'll be like well you guys are kingdomists. You think it's okay to, to factory farm plants. Mm -hmm. You think it's okay to like rip out plants and eat their roots and toss their bodies on the ground. But like you just, cause you think that the whole world's made of a hierarchy and that animals are at the top of the hierarchy. Cause typically people who hold these kind of beliefs are against hierarchies, right? They hate the idea of a hierarchy. They hate the idea of a patriarchy. They yeah. hate the idea of any kind of hierarchy, right? So they want everything to be equity. It's like, okay, well, why do you think that animals are better than plants? And like, what about fungi? How do you feel about fungi? Because they're not plants, right? So, so I've kind of gotten to this place where it's like, they're all living creatures with massive, not just life histories, but incredible evolutionary histories. So whatever species we're talking about, whether it's a deer or it's a forb or it's a fungi, we're talking about just millions of years of work that they've put in to maintain and grow their niche on the planet like that deserves so much respect and honor because it's like who are you you know what i mean it's like i've been i've been kicking around for 44 years okay <laughs> not 44 million years like who am i to place these things in a hierarchy these like living creatures that i had nothing to do with their origin story it's like it's impressive it's not easy to survive yeah. You know, we forget how hard it is to survive because we live in this this very padded zoo. But outside of there, it's hard work. So to stick around for millions of years, pretty impressive. I mean, you look at some of the creatures that were pretty badass that aren't here now, like all those Pleistocene animals. Or you go back, you know, to T-Rex and Velociraptors, like couldn't hang. But like Chaga mushrooms have hung even when T-Rex couldn't. You know, that, <laughs> that gets some respect in my book. Yeah. So rather than being like a kingdomist where you're like, you're like, oh, I just, I think plants are, it's okay to kill plants, but it's not okay to kill animals. That seems silly to me. So I look at all these things now, it's like mushrooms, plants, algae, which are their own, they're in the protist kingdom for whatever reason, the like catch all kingdom for stuff that doesn't fit anywhere else, <laughs> you know, animals, like they they all like we probably should be eating from all the kingdoms and probably like make sense to respect them all pretty equally um i think they all have like different attributes you know it's like hey animals have a kind of sentience which i get why vegans are bothered by that idea i mean i do understand but the more we study plants the more we realize they have their own form of sentience a forest is like a sentient entity i mean the idea now that we know that the there's basically an internet of yeah. you know, of, of mycorrhizal associations between forest trees in a forest and that they're like communicating nutrients across yep. yeah. aisles to feed each other and care for each other. It's like, 
the vegan has no problem ripping that up and eating it or ripping that up and putting a cornfield in. And also, you know, the other thing that's really interesting is like once we domesticate something, this is really interesting, you know, particularly beyond that into like genetic modification where we're getting into the realm of like somebody owns a species. It's kind of like a slave species in a way. It's like Monsanto has patented genetics. It's like, yeah, there there's some very weird implications there. Like the way that there was things going on in the United States that were absolutely atrocious 400 years ago. Absolutely. Like to our sent to our sentiments now, it's just like shocking how, you know, you could own a human being and, and have them do like, that's insane to us today. Yep. I think we'll look back and we'll be like, wow, people owned a species and they could like exploit the genome of that species like this. Like that's going to seem very strange to us, but we, we're, we have everything all categorized, like all well, the plants and the animals and the fungi. So to me, wild foods is like all that's been removed. So today, whether I'm hunting a mushroom or I'm hunting a plant or I'm hunting an animal, I don't really, I try not to see it too differently. To me, the what's happening is I'm a predator. I need to eat. And what I eat are living things, body parts. And I go out there trying to find those body parts and in the ratios that I like them, you know, for my diet. So that's just how I see it. You know, I think that eventually that'll be a more common way to see it. But right now, human beings are just in an absolute um, head fog about what food is. And so, but anyway, to answer your question, I started slow. Um, and you know, uh, I did jump in pretty fast on the, on big game, you know, getting to bears a little early. Um, and that was a huge hurdle. Cause I think of all of the animals that we hunt bears, at least in North America, probably maybe the most anthropomorphic thing that we hunt, you know, it's like, you've seen a scun out bear, I'm sure. Right. It's like, yeah. Raccoon it's like, Hey, that's kind of like a, kind of like a, like a, like a dude. Yeah, yeah. But a bear is like, kind of yeah, looks like right. a dude, right. You're yeah. like, looks like I just scun a bodybuilder out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like a raccoon looks like a little bear for sure. But I mean, yep. You know, you look at a bear and you're like, man, that looks like a dude. Um, and I think also with a bear, you know, you've got this sense of like, he got similar qualities to you. When you see him like sitting on his ass, like scratching his armpit, like <laughs> eating some berries or whatever, it's like, okay, that's kind of like how a person yeah. acts. Like a deer never acts like a person. You never look at a deer, you're like, oh, that reminds me of a person. With a bear, you kind of see that a lot, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of cool to confront that early on, I think, and and get over some of that stuff. Because now I just don't see it the way I used to see it. It's like, I, it's not an ethical thing. It's like a food thing. Yeah. I always you felt know. that the beer was my spirit animal for sure. Playful, playful <laughs> and bumbling around until, until you piss me off and then, yeah. then you get violent, you know, but it takes yeah. a certain, Do you eat them? certain point. I've eaten bear meat. I have not actually killed a bear on my own yet. Okay. So, yeah. um, yeah, I do eat it though. And I've had some bear fat and mm -hmm. delicious by the way. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, I'm hoping to get out and go bear hunting very, very soon though. Yeah, they are cool, man. I mean, and, and they, the food value, I mean, the meat is incredible. I mean, I just think it's one of the most underrated, probably the most underrated meat in North America. And then it's really cool. We have three species of bears here too. You know, I'm really drawn to a polar bear hunt and everybody's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, I mean, I get from everybody like, don't, that's so bad. That's so unethical. No, it's like, well, it's there's awesome. places where they <laughs> yeah. issue tags yeah. for a reason, you know, yep. like, it's not like you, you just go anywhere you want. It's like really specific areas. But I would like to 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 eat one, to be honest. But um, and I'm fascinated by like the Pleistocene bears, like the short face bear, you know, that 
They're massive. Massive. So I got a question for you then. What are your thoughts on uh, bringing back extinct animals such as woolly mammoth? Yeah. Or something like that. Like I just feel, I feel like somebody's trying to play creator at that Mm -hmm. point. You know, I mean, it's gone. We've evolved past that point and now you're going to take its dna genetically mix it up with some other dna and implant it into an elephant and then two years later we're going we're going to have a woolly mammoth according to reports you know i mean well guys that like to do guys that like guns tend to be on the more conservative side and i don't mean that politically i just mean conservative in the sense of like um, you want to conserve your money, kind of a conservative, right? And so I think that people who lean that direction are going to typically be against an idea like this. It's an extremely progressive idea to be like, we're gonna bring back extinct animals. <laughs> like, so I think like I'm already predisposed a little bit to not really liking the idea. And then I also want to be like, has anyone seen Jurassic Park? Right. <laughs> like it goes wrong. It's kind of like when you see the Boston Dynamics producing those Terminator looking robots for whoa, the Defense Department. Yeah. You're like, you're like, guys, have you seen the movie though? Have like, you seen Terminator? Have you seen Terminator? <laughs> Do you know what you're doing here? Yeah. Um, what the hell? Uh so I I mean I have a little of that going on with this. Um, but now right now I'm I'm reading Dan Flory's new book, um, which is all about uh North America over the particularly the, well, since the the comet that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, the whole history of North America, in particular through the Pleistocene. And he's really arguing, interestingly, in contention with Steve Vernella, who was his student, because um, Vernella really does not believe, at least last I heard from him, does not believe in this so-called Blitzkrieg hypothesis that human beings led to the Pleistocene extinctions. But um, Flory's book seems to be, I'm midway through, it seems to be arguing that human beings did cause the loss of the mastodons and the woolly mammoths and the ground sloths and all of these, you know, incredible Pleistocene buffalo, all all these animals, the camels that were here. Um, And he makes a really compelling argument for it. So I think that leaves room for the idea that like, um, well, we knocked them out. It's like, if, okay, if we could bring back passenger pigeons, I mean, they were yeah. here not that long ago. And the the forests here are still adapted to them. I mean, we're talking in the last couple hundred years, this has all gone down. So if you could bring them back, man, I mean, I would love to see flocks of passenger pigeons overhead. I mean, they're supposed to be here. Yep. Or, so in I that mean, way- Quail, coveys of quail that you don't see anymore, right? That's- sure, right? Or the parakeets, right? The Carolina parakeets or- so some of these animals that re- now the last okay from what I understand the last woolly mammoths died out around four thousand years ago so that's like when the pyramids were being built right we're not talking that long ago right they were on that island there they now realized there was like a small pocket of them and then now that we can find DNA in soils I think we're learning that maybe there was even animals here four thousand years ago so we're not talking. This isn't like bringing a T-Rex back from 65 million years ago. We're talking like pretty recent history. So in that way, I can see 
like if you, if I had to be in a debate team and you gave me the job of arguing on behalf <laughs> of bringing back Mastodons, I think I could make an argument, but my, I'm like a Luddite. I just can't help it. I'm the one who's like, you can't 65 miles an hour in a car to kill a man. That's not possible. You know, like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, people were saying, I'm, I'm like, kind of like that. I'm, I'm like, I don't know about this Bluetooth. Like, is this safe? You know, I'm one of probably those people. Not. So I still say it not. too, 5G, whatever. Yeah, mean, all that stuff. We don't. I don't like any of that stuff. Right. I don't, I'm like, I'm like, we went to the moon though. Really? Like, yeah. are we yeah. sure about yeah. this? Like, <laughs> We went through the Van Allen radiation belts and all of that in the 60s. But there's reflectors. There's reflectors on the moon. Yeah, they had reflectors, dude. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, no, totally. With 60s, we totally, the toaster and the space shuttle, you know, it all all came. So, no, I I, I just struggle with a lot of the the implications of technology. So, personally, I think we might want to just leave it well enough alone. But that said, the... The they're not gonna. No. <laughs> so, but next is a dinosaur. Figure out I feel like once it. once you open that gateway to where okay, you know, first it was cloning animals. Now you're taking genetically modifying, and now you're not cloning. You're creating, mm-hmm. and and you're creating this mammoth. Though. Now it's like okay, well, we've seen Jurassic Park. We're going to make dinosaurs, and then yeah. and then of course here comes in the corporate greed, right? Or you know, some big company that wants to make even more profit. Now, now it really yep. is Jurassic Park, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Always I, a horror. It's always a horror movie when yeah, this stuff happens. Yeah. It's, it's never good. Every time yes. it's a dystopian horror movie the, again and again and again. Uh, the One of my favorite analogies would be like the movie Fantasia, the Disney the old Disney movie. There's a scene, you know, the scene with Mickey and he's um, Merlin leaves and he gets Merlin's hat. And he starts to play with magic, but he doesn't, he's not a wizard. He doesn't understand magic. He's this fucking mouse or whatever. So he's, (laughs) he starts to make a mess and then he starts to figure out like, okay, I'm going to make these magical mops. Do you remember this? He makes the mops and the buckets. What ends up happening is the more he tries to fix the problem that he's created, it starts to get out of control. He's got these like walking mops and these buckets and now everything's filled with water. And it's like, everything's going to total chaos. And then finally like Merlin comes in and like takes the hat back and like sets everything right. So when you were talking about playing creator, I feel like that's a really good metaphor for that. It's like human beings, the way I see it in my ontological, is that the word? In my kind of spiritual worldview, it's like, it's like, imagine that the Bible story was more sci-fi. So it was like, God is the programmer of this dimension. It's like a, like a software program. And you're like a, you're like a, a, a video game character. And the idea is to play the game. But then all of a sudden the characters rebel and they go like, hey, let's figure out what this place is made out of. And they start to be like, oh, it's made out of like pixels. And they start to dig deeper. It's like, wait, underlying the pixels is code. And it's like, wait, what if we can manipulate the code and they figure out how to, but the more they manipulate the code, the more they damage the game itself until eventually the, the writer of the code has to download himself into the game and come and like show everybody and then we kill him (laughs) right and then like and then it gets worse and worse for centuries you know like that's the kind of how i see that bible story so in that story you you have the um you have the tower of babel stories another really good one where it's like humans want to become gods and so they they insist upon trying to get to heaven through the construction of this tower 
And eventually the whole thing is like dashed because God's like, no, not doing that, guys. Sorry. Smash, crash, boom. Yep. So I think that a lot of human history is the story of humans not being satisfied with this incredible infinite creation that we're in and instead being like, no, we want to be the creators. And what's scary about the moments that we're going into now, particularly with the idea with the, like the metaverse idea is that I worry. So, okay. So you go from this creation into one that humans have made, and then you don't really have the ability after, you know, if we do this long enough and it goes far enough, you wouldn't even know that I was, you know, you would know because it would be invented in your lifetime. But let's say a couple of generations from now, your kids are in this thing that wouldn't even know about the actual creation. So I, I get concerned with the idea of human beings thinking that their creations are more powerful than the creation. You constantly hear this thing from scientists that the human brain is the most complex network that exists in the known universe. It's like, man, you start thinking that human intelligence is the greatest intelligence at work. And that hubris leads to the fall of Babel kind of a thing, the to total destruction, you know? Yeah. So when I'm looking at what's happening to our civilization right now, it seems to me, why, what I love about the idea of the hunter-gatherer world, you know, why I'm nostalgic about it, is the idea of humans just playing the game yeah. instead of trying to recreate the game. And what I see with modern civilizations, you know, is that we have tried to tamper with all of the controls and the settings and we we're turning it into a horror show we're turning it into a total dystopia and we keep thinking like mickey if i can just create one more thing to fix the problem that this thing created the problem is every time mickey created more stuff it created six more problems and then he's like trying to solve those six and now you've got 24 more problems and it just kept compounding and i think we're compounding all our problems and we're so proud that we can't step back and be like whoa this thing was actually awesome before yep. And we should have not messed with it. And that's what I love about hunting and fishing and foraging is because I feel like I'm actually in like, quote unquote, God's plan when I do that. It's like, that's, that's being a natural human following the rules set forth by the game. Like I'm satisfied with the game. And I think that the game is run by something much more, you know, I'm not like, um, I'm not your typical Sunday school Christian or anything, but like, I just don't see the world as, um, as being devoid of deity or however you want to say that yeah. i'm certainly aware that we aren't the creators and this thing is made out of math and therefore it has to there's an intelligence behind it and that intelligence to me deserves my utmost respect and i just don't look to human beings for answers on these kind of things existential things so so i don't I like messing with mastodon bringing mastodons back cuz if we were going to make this like um using the language I've been using, well, that would be like Luciferian, yeah, right? That would be would like be. satanic magic or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's like, nah, I'm just, I'm just going to keep like trying to live, you know, as good as I can on this planet each yeah. day and, and try to live with like love and kindness and not get too um, caught up with this, like what can humans do to that's proof yeah. upon this place because i don't know that we can improve upon it much a simple that all sounded existence. so crazy weird, well, well like... it doesn't it doesn't sound that crazy i actually met an individual that said he was on a hunting trip with a guy and he goes man this guy drank a lot and he asked the guy is like you're retired you know like are you are you masking something you know he, he said it wasn't the first time and he goes yeah i've seen some weird things in my lifetime and he's like well what do you mean and as they sat around the campfire, they talked a little bit more. And the guy said, uh, you know, I've worked 
for a company that has a particle accelerator, you know, and I've seen them do some things that is pretty strange to me. And mm. coming from like a standpoint of you're just saying that and somebody doesn't know more than that or has more insight, it doesn't sound like anything, right? But essentially, you're trying, and he said they were trying to find source particle. <laughs> yeah. Source particle, sure. if you look into it, is creation. You are yeah. now making things. Yeah. You know, and that is kind of scary if you really yeah. stop and analyze it. And I mean, like you said, that is, I mean, at a point that becomes Luciferian, that's anti-creator, yeah. right? You're going yeah. against that. That's, I mean, that's a weird dynamic to try and put your place in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be a lot easier to accept all these things if a lot of the, you know, we used to have terms like uh, when, when somebody's if somebody said like the elites or something and like 10 years ago, that was like con real conspiracy sounding stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas today it's like really open. It's like Klaus Schwab and the world economic <laughs> forum and all those guys right. are just out there being like, Oh no, we want to rule the world. And yeah. like, they're just telling you like, we want to feed you bugs and have you be serfs. And we want to restrict all your access to the land. And we want to restrict your access to ownership of things. And like that it's all been unmasked. Strangely, it was like really interesting to watch how it was essentially Donald Trump unmasked it, right? Like the, that was really fascinating yeah. to watch. Like what, however people feel about him as a person, yeah. what was neat to me was that it caused all of these masks to come off and you were like, oh, whoa, that's what you guys are really doing. You know, like it yep. all got exposed yep. kind of in since 2016 on set yeah. to whereas now it's like, uh, yeah. By the way, if you disagree, I'll have no, no, here. I Why? don't disagree at all. It just seems I, like it's I, all out in the open. It now. is out. In it's the like open. no longer obfuscated the way it was. It's like very much out in the open. Now, if those yep. people weren't obsessed with what looks a lot like kind of Luciferianism, yep, and their symbols didn't always look uh, Luciferian, yeah, and they didn't like do all these things that were classically considered like almost like seance kind of stuff you know they're mm. into some pretty weird stuff so that's like w the most unsettling part because that's no longer the realm of just like late night alex jones shows that's like now you <laughs> right, can kind of right. like dig into it all and it's like out yeah. there and you're like wait a second like is that what all this actually is because it kind of feels like we're dealing with some not just anti-creation, but like resentment against God almost, or like resentment that there would be any constraints on your behavior, like yeah. like resentment and like you want, and that's like the classic, again, just to go back to biblical mythology is like, that was the rebellion in heaven, so-called, right? Was yeah. the, was, was, you know, again, I mean, when you read the Bible, this stuff isn't super clear in there. Just to just want to say that I've, is, I've spent a lot is, of time. There is a lot of interpretation. There is, yep. yeah, and like the church has been very liberal with their interpretations about things. In particular, heaven and hell and Lucifer and Satan and all that stuff is not like clearly laid out in there the way that you would think it was, or the Trinity or any of those kind of things. I find that that stuff is you go back to the source material and it's not super super clear. But the the mythology in the church has always been this idea that Lucifer's resentment that he could not be a creator or the creator or worshiped like the creator, he then decides to lead a rebellion. And then he disguises himself as an angel of light. And that's how he inter inter interacts. And so the idea now that like the machine that I'm having this conversation with you has a symbol on the back of it. And that symbol is an apple with a bite taken yes, out of it. Yes, it is. 
A lot right? of people don't know and, that. <laughs> yeah. And here we are staring into all of this light all the time, yeah. right? It's like, and the appearance is that it will elevate you to godlike status. That's what the idea is. And so I don't know, like I had this martial arts teacher and he said like, man, because he had been pretty high level um, at the DOD. He was like uh, narco counterintelligence or something like that. All kinds of secret clearances and stuff. And he'd be like, man, you think like there's this big conspiracy going on? He's like, it's way more dysfunctional than you could ever imagine. It's not like that. He's And he would always say to me, there's a pattern that's implicit and that implicit pattern plays out explicitly in the world. So what ends up happening is, is you need somebody to be like Darth Vader. And so somebody always steps into that role, whether it's an Adolf Hitler or a Klaus Schwab or whoever it is, is going to step in and fill those shoes because it's a archetypical role and someone's going to play it. And someone's also going to play the crusader and someone's going to play the victim and, and people always step into these roles. And so the reason he would say that the Bible has this story or all of these other traditions, you know, even down to like hunter gatherer myths always have these same kind of stories is because this is the, this stuff's all in us. And so it plays out, we externalize it out into the world. So whether this is really what's happening or it just plays <laughs> out this way, the problem is what's playing out in front of us is like the revelation story, you know what I mean? Where you're like, ah, it's happening. You know what I mean? Like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, so that part's a little freaky, but uh, it's, but it yeah. also kind of exciting too. I don't know. I I just know that I see a lot of things now that I'm like, can't align myself with that. That that looks and feels wrong. And, I, and I'm curious and I, I'm confused as to why so many people's, from my perspective, again, from my flawed and like, you know, deeply like, you know, naive perspective, I'm confused like what's going on with moral compasses in the world? Cause it seems like people's compasses got like reverse polarized they, in the I, last decade. <laughs> I think they have. I mean, I think that's, uh, if you go back to biblical stuff, I mean, that is part of the plan, right? Is to change that. Whether you want to believe that or not, I mean, there has definitely been a shift in that. You can see it. You can see it plain as day. The other thing, like you were talking about, I mean, Balenciaga and their ads. And then if you, look up right there articles of different court documents and you look up those court documents and what they actually are that's plain as day that's that's symbolism at that point that's signaling mm -hmm. something whether or not that person had an affiliation with the actual company who knows right yeah but that one individual did do that or multiple individuals i mean there there's a plan within all of that I just choose not to be part of it. I also yeah, choose exactly. not to plug myself into the matrix, which you just described earlier. Yeah. I mean, that the definition of that is a matrix with the metaverse. And how far do you want to go within that? I would rather yeah. just live. And uh, I don't know. I try to consider myself a, a thrivalist, right? You mm -hmm. know, the best that I can do in this situation, just living, surviving, right? And that's, that's where I want to be. The hunting, fishing, yeah. Like, foraging. how do you, yeah? I was curious, like, because all of that stuff is like, um, it's like an, I mean, we did a t shirt last year called it says antidote to the metaverse, right? In front of right. The, I couldn't believe the response we got. It was like people really vibed with that. They, yeah. It was like, you know, even if they didn't buy the shirt, they were just like, I just love that concept. Um, and I was presenting the idea of this stuff in the outdoors as being like an antidote to that. And um, yeah, just kind of curious, like if you, how you see all that, like as far as I say this, like, do you think when you do those things, you're actively 
like feeding that other part of yourself. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, there's, so there's that primal element, right? I, I think that there's that primal element that you tap into there's something the fabric of how everything is interwoven and connected and Mm -hmm. you tap into that every time you get out there and you immerse yourself it's you're you're stepping into a world that you're normally not in right your feet aren't touching soil anymore they're on concrete most of the time you drive to work you get in and out of your car like uh what's his name michael easter says in his book you know it's like um there's that extreme disconnect all the time and you're in that comfort zone and we're mm-hmm. in the comfort crisis and taking yourself away from that and even struggling a little bit. Like I love taking my canoe and going hunting and on and off the truck and hauling it around and getting it in the water and paddling and getting that exercise, but connecting, feeling that water, you know, and doing all those things weaves me back into the fabric that I'm part of, that I should mm-hmm. be part of. And then watching the animals and waiting for the opportunity to come and along the way finding different berries or, you know, picking a few mushrooms or just different things that. Yeah, a new spot that you're like, ooh, I'm coming back to this spot. Or like I I was up in a tree, you set up in the dark. And as you start looking around and that light starts just, you know, unlifting that veil of darkness. And all of a sudden you look down below you and you see a bunch of multiflora rose that you got snagged up on, but you weren't exactly sure what it was in Mm -hmm. the morning. Right. And now you're like, Hey, I'm going to pick those rose hips when (laughs) I get down and nibble on them on my way out. You know, it's all of those things that it's a, it's an awakening, almost a rebirth that you find yourself in. And I would just wish more people would get into that for sure. Yeah. The greatness of what you just described for me is the fact that you didn't make any of that. No. Like like if if you come in my house and everything's like perfectly curated and it's like, well, I put everything in here and I put everything on the walls. Isn't it beautiful? And it's like, yeah, but I can go outside and like walk into just any random place and it's so much more complex, it's so much more diverse, there's more colors, there's more information, it's more and and I had nothing to do with that. No people people didn't make that. That's like pre-existed people that that beauty and art from the natural world, this is kind of like at the core of what I'm talking about is that it's so much more meaningful to me. The stuff that humans don't create is more beautiful and more meaningful. And it speaks to the soul in a way that um, it's sad for somebody whose time is always in the built or technological environment. That's my, my biggest concern about where things are headed is the, the fact that if you, if you could go into the technological environment this is like assuming it's even survivable to do this like um metaverse thing because we don't you know, <laughs> really, really know if you can do that it's sort of like, yeah. like well, we're gonna put a colony on mars it's like we don't okay. really know that you can do that like let's let's see if humans can survive that because maybe in one and a half generations you're all dead from a lack of microbes or who knows what like don't know that that's actually possible feels possible because i've been raised with a ton of sci-fi it's like why <laughs> it's like why when the government tries to like front like oh no maybe it's aliens and you're like but is it aliens they're like well, we'll neither confirm nor deny that. Yeah, right. Like they're leaving you with that weird, like, you know, they're playing these mind games with us recently. Like, oh, we just shot down yeah. a bunch of UFOs. Like, and they don't just clearly say, like, they make you think like maybe it's aliens, right? That stuff's really compelling because we grew up with so much sci-fi. So it's like after watching Captain Kirk go to enough planets, I think like maybe that is real. Like that could actually exist. 
Like, I think maybe we could live on Mars because I've seen a hundred movies where we do. Right. Well, I don't really know that that could work, you know? Yeah. And I don't know you could really live in the metaverse, but the idea that you would long enough that you would not know what it's like to have a transcendental moment, like watching a sunset on a beach where you're just overcome with the fact that all this beauty exists with or without humans. It's just already there. Like that is so humbling. I think like that's the medicine that we need to yeah. the soul medicine is like getting rid of our hubris and being like on our knees, like, okay, I get it. This is all like, has nothing to do with us. Like if it does have anything to do with us, it's a gift for us, but that's it. Like, it's not that we don't create that. We didn't make that. And the stuff we make can only ever be a pale uh, replica of what was already here, you know? Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. I mean, and like, if you look at the Fred Bear quote, and I think even Ted Nugent uses it in the song Fred Bear, but at the very end, he plays it. But it, it he talks about if you're today's modern thrill seeker wants to go into the wild, I suggest they go into the Pacific Northwest or they go uh, hunt the, what does he say, hunt the, the brown bear from the ground and it will cleanse, that experience will cleanse your soul. Yeah. A lot of people mistake that with death. And, you know, like the death <laughs> yeah. cleansing your soul, right, but it's right, not. No, He's not. talking about immersing yourself once again and, and reviving something that's there that you're lacking. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, I totally get it, man. Daniel, it's been awesome talking to yeah, you. Yeah, it's sure. been fun, man. Um, Sorry to take us into we such weird We went some weird but... uh, rabbit holes, but I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, it it's something that maybe will get people's minds uh, working on a little bit more. Oh, but uh, for sure... <laughs> Where, if people want to find you, find your show, all of those yeah. things, where can they reach out to you and get all those? Yeah, you know, like uh, the same place you go for everything. You just get on one of those search engines and put my name <laughs> in there. But uh, yeah, you know, obviously uh, my podcast, Wild Fed, we, you know, we, this is not the territory we're typically traversing. So right. if you want to hear either. all those standard like inter interviews with biologists and talking about hunting and stuff, it's all there. And then uh, my TV show is on Outdoor Channel, um, which, uh, you know, we're in our third season right now so that we air Monday nights at 7.30. So we open up for Meat Eater actually, which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, they can find me uh, all over uh, Instagram and all those places, Facebook and all that stuff too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, man. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.